The story of hemp is big, multidimensional, and changing in some ways too fast, in other ways not fast enough. Our guest today is Kristen Nichols, editor at Hemp Industry Daily, an online publication that is covering all aspects of this exploding industry, including the science, the business, and the slow developing regulatory framework around hemp. While Kristen's focus is on the business side of hemp, we cover topics that are of interest to consumers too. Was the vaping crisis of 2019 a wake-up call for CBD hemp companies? How can consumers be sure they're getting safe and effective CBD products when there are no regulations from the USDA and FDA? We cover all this and a lot more in a pretty brisk half hour or so, and I think you'll get a lot out of our conversation. And this is where I mentioned that this podcast, my website, Cannaboom, with a K, dot com, and my weekly newsletter, Five Boom Friday, are all focused on how cannabinoids and CBD can help you achieve better wellness and how to find CBD that's trusted and reliable. You can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast player. And if you enjoy the show, please leave a review and help us expand our reach. Thanks to our producer, Danny in Milwaukee. And here's my interview with Kristen Nichols. Cannabis is booming, and Cannaboom is on it. Welcome to the Cannaboom Podcast, where we interview experts on the changing story of humans, health, and hemp. From San Diego, here's your host, Tom Stacy. Hey, it's Tom. Welcome back to Cannaboom, the podcast. Today we have Kristen Nichols, editor at Hemp Industry Daily. Hey, Kristen. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So glad you're here. Uh, where are you today? Okay, we are in Denver, Colorado. There's fires still burning in Colorado, I think, at this recording. Yeah, it, it, you can smell it even in Denver, which is on the other side of the state. Uh, I know a lot of folks in the West are really dealing with it right now. You're the editor at Hemp Industry Daily, and you guys are doing a great job of covering this emerging industry. I mean, there's so much to talk about between the science, the regulatory end of it, and the business end of it. So you've got a big job. Well, thanks so much. Um, I've been uh, covering cannabis for a long time, and I always say, whatever you think about cannabis, it truly is the miracle drug of news. Um, you're right. There's a, it's, it moves so quick, and it's so interesting, everything that happens. It's hard to keep up with. Just poking around, doing some research, and I saw a, an old quote from Jack Herrera, who wrote, uh, The Emperor Wears No Clothes, where he said, I'm not saying hemp is going to save the world, but it's the only thing that can. Is, is that an overstatement or, you know, hemp does so many things. What's the real potential of this plant? Frankly, uh, that's hype. Um, <laughs> I do. There's so uh, that book, of course, is so influential and he was so influential uh, to efforts to legalize hemp. It's important to remember hemp. Uh, a lot of things that that hemp can do. Any plant can do, um, for whether it's soil whether it's soil mitigation, taking uh, toxins out of the soil, being used um, in textiles, being used as a biofuel, being used as a food source. A lot of these things are in no way unique to hemp. Um, uh, really, truly, this plant is uh, so interesting to folks because of its association with high THC varieties, um, low THC varieties are really not that much different than canaf or jute or other commodity crops that have been in rotation for a long time. There was a pretty prominent um, agronomist uh, at the University of Kentucky, uh, who, he's passed away, but he said once to a, a speech at the USDA, he said, uh, hemp has been legal in many countries for decades, and it's not even a grain of sand on the beach of agriculture. Uh, and it, so in some ways, it's an, it's an awesome crop, does a lot, but folks who think it will overcome things like soybeans, corn, wheat, and as Jack said, 
could be the only thing that saves the world, I think uh, th- that's a lot of hype. That's an interesting perspective. We talk about often on this podcast, uh, almost 100 years of prohibition resulted in a lot of stigma, but also a lot of pent up, I guess, ignorance that we're just beginning to get some answers to. Absolutely. Tell me about Hemp Industry Daily, when you guys started, who your readers are, what your mission is. Okay. Um, We uh, cover the entire hemp supply chain. So we write for producers, farmers, we write for uh, manufacturers, extractors, and uh, people who make products out of hemp. And then we write for retailers. We also write for investors. We are a sister publication to Marijuana Business Daily, which is also here in Denver. Um, it won't surprise you. A few years back, um, Marijuana Business Daily, which is a great publication, kind of figured out, you know, there are fo- some folks that are just not going to read or advertise or participate or come to shows as long as that word marijuana is in the, the name. They also realized that like a lot of folks, um, that um, hemp could be bigger than marijuana. You know, it, this industry is huge. It's got really distinct needs, things to cover that are very different than marijuana. It needs its own space. So we're a spinoff of Marijuana Business Daily. We do conferences. We try to write for, again, producers, manufacturers, and retailers, and investors. Um, and so one thing that is a little different, uh, a lot of folks write also for consumers. We don't focus on consumers. We're interested in writing about and for the people who are in the business. Wow, and what a nice niche. I mean, given the disclaimer we had at the top, hemp might not be the only thing that can change the world, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot it can do. I mean, it's a textile, it's a fuel, it's a food source. There's many dimensions to this. Absolutely. Uh, Hemp, and that makes it very interesting. It also makes hemp its own worst enemy in some ways, because frankly, it is it does so much that it's so hard. It won't get into this. It is so hard to figure out how to regulate it, who should be in charge, what the market uses are. Uh, it's a challenge for farmers. It's a challenge for regulators. It's a challenge for really everybody to figure out where to kind of uh, niche this awesome plant. Well, and everybody needs some clear-eyed analysis, and you know mm-hmm. what you guys do. I saw recently you hosted an online debate between a couple of people. There's a lot of value in that besides, you know, what a normal publication, quote unquote, normal publication in the past, you just, you put out print, but now there's many other ways you can come at it. Sure. And again, there's so many folks that write uh, for consumers and we're not, uh, we're, look, we're looking to talk to folks who are actually, you know, hands dirty, making this stuff and growing this stuff. What do they need to know? Because it doesn't really help them to here's 10 new awesome face creams, you know, you can, you can buy with CBD in it, which is a lot of the coverage, try to get beyond that. Uh, and also beyond, frankly, there's a lot of, like you pointed out, there's a lot of um, obstinance kind of from traditional ag media to cover this plant. So there's not a lot of resources. Jack Hare truly is the man's dead, but it's probably one of the best resources you have uh, for growing hemp. Where if you're growing, again, corn, wheat, soy, well, you have libraries full of the latest research and the latest assistance from your state and county, ag departments, and hemp. It's changing, but right now, boy, you got to bootstrap a lot of this yourself. We used to call that a blue ocean where there's just there's so much out there that 
there's room for you to cover all kinds of things. You know, we talked about a little bit about science and, and regulation and the whole business side. What's the biggest challenge right now? Is it, is it in the regulatory, the absence of a regulatory framework? Totally. Um, two fronts. One, um, no one knows what USDA is going to do. Um, the Farm Bill two years ago said, okay, hemp, as long as it's a variety of cannabis below this made-up level of THC, it's going to be regulated by USDA, not DEA and the Department of Justice. Enormous leap forward for the hemp industry. Folks have been hollering for years that this is not a drug, doesn't need to be treated like a drug. So that's one thing. So USDA, now they're in charge. Yay, great news. Everybody celebrated. Well, here we are two years later. USDA is still a hot mess in terms of how this is going to look. Just before um, I got on this call, New York State, big, big hemp producer, you know, big state, big, lots of production there, lots of manufacturing there said, you know what, USDA, we're, we don't even want any part of these rules. We're out. So what are you supposed to do if you're a farmer in New York? <laughs> or you have a factory in New York, uh, you know, you're just kind of at a loss. So that's one angle. Huge challenge about those rules. On the other side, we've got uh, the FDA. They regulate kind of everything you put in your mouth and rub on your body. They have been looking at CBD for years. They had this big public hearing uh, over a year ago. Everybody's still waiting. Everybody's like, okay, here's the rules. Big players like Budweiser, Coca-Cola. Um, yeah, Procter and Gamble, the biggest companies in America are ready to hop in this market. They just need FDA to tell us how to do it. Well, here we are, no clue <laughs> how to do it. Uh, consumers and manufacturers, everyone's at a loss about trying to wing all this without any assistance from the feds. It, everything is slow and confusing. Well, and that kind of uncertainty can freeze investment. I mean, businesses hate not knowing what the regulatory framework is going to look like. They do. And I would say too, I know that it's doom and gloom and you hear nothing but crankiness about FDA and these rules. But for the flip side and where we come in, uh, try to cover this, it's an advantage for small players. Let's say I have four acres, I'm making topicals and tinctures and doing extraction on my farm. Well, you know, when these big players, Procter and Gamble and Kraft and Everybody else is making it. How do you compete? Right now, you're in a space because you might have a higher tolerance for risk, right? Uh, Pepsi-Cola doesn't have a big risk tolerance. They don't, they're not going to get in this as long as they're not sure if they can. So if you're making a CBD drink and you're a smaller player, you're bootstrapped a company together, this is a great time for you because there's a lot of consumer interest but you don't have big competition. So everything uh, can, there's a business advantage in the uncertainty, but certainly uh, this industry is going to change when we get some certainty. Well, right now there's a lot of innovation because as you said, without regulation, people can try different things. Absolutely. See how it goes. This is an unknown, uncharted sort of path. I don't know of any other commodity that has just, shall we say, unflowered like this so quickly. Does the federal government unable to handle this kind of a scenario? Or do we expect to see cooperation between the USDA and the FDA? Uh, do they work that way? Do we have any expectation for when we can get some clarity on, on this picture? Everyone wants it to be yesterday. I don't know. 
I think I'd like to look, point folks to um, other dietary supplements and natural products, right? So we have how drugs are regulated, a drug um, like Tylenol, and then we have food um, uh, like, uh, you know, uh, cereal and pasta. Then there's this third uh, category of dietary supplements like vitamin C, fish oil supplements, ginseng. Those kinds of things are regulated differently. Uh, again, under kind of a hybrid regulation called Deshay that the FDA oversees. Looking back, it took decades. It took something like more than a dozen years for the FDA to figure out how to regulate vitamin C. And vitamin C, I would say, is not as complicated for what it does in your body as a cannabinoid extract where you have a whole endocannabinoid system. So I know it's very frustrating, and I don't think it's it's uh, some kind of bias or drug war mentality. It really is just that our federal government, now that this is, again, out of the black market, out of the illicit side, and out of, you know, friends and neighbors just uh, bootstrapping things illegally in the backyard in the basement, the fact that it's federal, they're just a slow-moving agency that need years sometimes of data about how safe and effective things are before kind of clearing them to the uh, American consumer. I do think that's an important uh, gatekeeper role they play. Um, but of course, we know consumers don't necessarily wait for the FDA to say a product is safe and effective before taking it. That's exactly what's happening in hemp. Folks say, oh, this is terrible. Uh, the, if the FDA would say anything, we would at least have some safety protocols. Uh, the FDA is saying, whoa, 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 we really think that even any kind of clearance is just too soon to tell folks they can take stuff and we don't know how they're going to use it. And we don't want to be in a position 20 years from now where we got a bunch of people with some kind of health condition that we didn't anticipate from this product we cleared way back when. This has happened with other products. Uh, I think folks that have uh, been using uh, cannabis all their lives would say, oh, come on, that's that's a joke. It's not gonna, There's not really any problem. You can't have too much cannabis in your system. Um, but I do think um, the feds, uh, not necessarily looking to drug war propaganda, are looking to other things that were thought to be healthy and that years later the feds had real leg on their face for not blocking it sooner. I mean, last year at this time we were beginning to get a lot of news about vaping cartridges and mm -hmm. people getting sick from that after about 10 years of them being out there millions of people were using them and then people started dying so is is that sort of a cautionary tale for I'm cbd companies brought that up because i think that that is a perfect example of where you had a slow-moving fda right vapes e-cigarettes uh, and nicotine products too starting starting to pop up technology advancing they look super healthy they're being sold as alternatives to smoking you're not uh, combusting anything. Everyone's uh, really sees them as the healthy alternative to smoking. Uh, usage cranks up. The FDA, really slow-footed, is like later, like whoa, 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 what is this stuff? Uh, they are just in the middle of looking at it when you have um, some unscrupulous producers, people who maybe are taking shortcuts, just getting flooding stuff to market, not. Uh, making things as maybe effectively or as safely as they could to, to capitalize on the market while the FDA kind of hem, yeah, hems and haws on what to do. Kids start dying. 
And then uh, the feds are like, oh, wait, uh, this, is a, this is a crisis. Everybody stop. Turns out most of those uh, sicknesses and illnesses we now know came from these, again, cheap, illicit products that were not made as safely as they could have been. And these deaths could have been prevented, perhaps, if the FDA had acted sooner. I where this is a cautionary tale for CBD is not because, you know, God willing, kids are not going to start showing up in hospitals over CBD exposure. But the lesson being, when the feds don't act or when regulators take too long to evaluate all the angles and how something should be done, the market doesn't wait. Consumers don't wait, and um, you really open people up to potentially getting sick from bad actors. That's definitely happening in CBD because the feds aren't acting. Right. When you're talking about vaping cartridges, the technology came along that allowed manufacturers to mm -hmm. sort of aerosolize yeah. with fat a crystal. But with CBD, you know, people have been taking hemp slash cannabis for thousands of years without ill effects. However, as you say, with bad actors, you could have an adulterated product out there. We know that when you're growing hemp, there's you could have mold, you could have pesticide residue, you could have solvent mm -hmm. residue, all that stuff, which without regulation could be making its way into the market. Yeah, and you mentioned Hunter Land. He's a, a, a real smart guy, formerly of GW Pharmaceuticals, now working um, in over-the-counter um, cannabis products. He brought up, you hear that a lot. Oh, this is safe. We've been eating this for thousands of years. He brought up, well, not the way we're doing it now. This this crop has been modified and bred to be very different. The kind, the levels of CBD people are taking, let's say you're taking a tincture, a, a capsule, a gel cap, you're consuming, even under the safest protocols, you're consuming what would be basically a field full of hemp every day. <laughs> um, those were not levels people were consuming thousands of years back. So there, it can be presumed that it's safe because it's always been around. Uh, you hear that a lot from the industry. Oh, these these lackadoodle, do-nothing regulators, they just hate cannabis. They're so stupid. Well, all kinds of things can make you sick if you don't eat them or consume them the way they are in nature. You can, you can die from overexposure to all kinds of things that are commonly in nature. <laughs> um, there's a um, former chief medical officer in Colorado who he would push back on folks that say, you know, you hear this a lot. This is in marijuana and now in hemp. You hear a lot. Well, it's a plant, right? It's just a plant. Why are we freaking out? It's just a plant. And the former chief medical officer would say, you know what? Um, there's not a lot of meat-based medicine. All medicine <laughs> comes from a plant. Arsenic it comes from a plant. Um, all kinds of things that can kill you and are very dangerous can come from plants. So just because it comes from a plant and then you modify it in the lab, you concentrate it, you do all the things we're doing to lots of stuff, including cannabis, it's a different ballgame. So I think caution is, is in order. Uh, but again, I think uh, the slowness of how things are being regulated is really to the detriment of consumers and the industry. Well, and back to that regulatory uh, aspect of it and just the slow-footed response from the feds, does it make any difference who gets elected in November? Great question. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it's important to note that I think this is what's great for hemp 
relative to even marijuana, which is uh, broad support in both parties. Right now, for example, um, we think there's, there's a huge battle royale for control of the Senate. Well, the top Democrat in the Senate, Chuck Schumer, the top Republican in the Senate, Mitch McConnell, huge advocates for hemp, have both spoken out really vociferously in, to help the industry. So for that reason, I think hemp folks can feel assured that the that uh, there's not going to be a big crackdown. I don't think we're going to hear hemp play any kind of role in the presidential race. At the same time, of course, the USDA, the FDA, those leaders are appointed by the White House. We've seen the effects. For example, remember we were talking about the USDA now regulates hemp. So USDA spent a year looking at it. They do, this is how uh, Washington works. They sent, they have some, USDA, by the way, they're a promotional agency for ag. So they are pretty much pro-farmer, pro-market. They send their suggestions to the White House. That's how it works. You're an agency you uh, of the uh, in the executive branch. You come up with a new rule on whoever, you send it to the White House. Well, then the White House gets their take on it. Uh, and we and they other agencies can weigh in. Well, you guess what? Who's more important uh, in most administrations than the USDA? It's justice. So we have an attorney general gets weighs in, and here's what they think about these rules. The rules changed in in the case of USDA. Those rules changed a lot when they went to the White House. Justice got involved. Now DEA is involved. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, and the final rules that came out didn't look like what people in industry wanted to see, even people in USDA openly saying, oh, this was not our idea. So elections definitely matter. Um, it's going to matter who uh, leads the Department of Justice. It's going to matter who's in the White House in terms of these rules uh, taking effect and how they're enforced. Don't forget the no agency um, has an unlimited budget. They all have to decide what the priorities are. You're the FDA. Let's talk about that. You're the FDA. Okay, you've got this rampant black market CBD all over the place. Well, kids aren't dying about it. No one's turning up in hospitals sick. You also, at the FDA, have a million other things to worry about. You've got an opioid crisis. You've got, of course, a pandemic. We're trying to find a vaccine for her. You've got all kinds of other priorities to spend your time and energy on. So certainly elections matter where um, this industry, not just, of course, hemp, but also marijuana, wh what kind of priority that is uh, for the federal government really kind of depends on who's in charge. And we're going to see some big differences. However, I know I keep saying, but, but, but um, the overall cannabis experiment, which I would say goes back decades now in terms of experiment with legalizing when California flouted the feds in the 90s and said, F you, we're going to allow marijuana for sick people. We have seen different parties in charge, Clinton, Bush, Obama, Trump, and this industry has grown under all of them. So I would say no doom and gloom. <laughs> the, the end isn't near, depending who on the, the outcome of the election. There's a way to thrive and survive no matter who's in charge. We have seen neither party is really going to stop this cannabis uh, uh, revolution that's happening. They don't have the, nobody wants it. I mean, nobody wants to stop it, was what I mean. Um, 
So I wouldn't, I wouldn't keep me up at night, but it's certainly something to watch. Long answer to a short story. What I hear you saying, it's a long, slow, multi-decade transition mm-hmm. from where we were to, to where we're going. And of course, all the, the machinery of government moves quite slowly. I mean, there's politics involved, there's culture. And as we know, during Prohibition, there, were, there was a racist underpinning to marijuana is bad. Jazz musicians and Mexicans use it. And all of that we know is in the past. We're trying to transition into a future where this medicine is available. And it's also another layer of complexity to this when you talk about the regulatory aspect is it's a textile. You can make clothing out of it. You, mm-hmm. you can make hempcrete. How do you regulate those? Or do you just say, you guys aren't part of this. You don't have to follow this documentation path. You have a different path. Is that another piece of it? Absolutely. It's so confusing. Uh, <laughs> I am. Uh, we used to cover uh, Colorado state government. Uh, so about 10 years ago, when they started looking at this more than 10 years ago, th- that was the big issue. Is this a medicine? Is this like food, something you eat? Is it like something you smoke, like tobacco? Again, or is it something totally different, like a fuel? You know, the way the government regulates ethanol and petroleum, the way the government regulates tobacco, and the way the government regulates something like Tylenol, boy, these are all totally different agencies, totally different regimes. How do you seam these into one? That is such a challenge. And again, that's why I say sometimes I think hemp and cannabis are their own worst enemies, just because the plant is so amazing. It's really hard for folks to figure out. Well, let me ask you, what's your favorite part of this as you cover it day by day? You know, there's so much to this story. It's a big, big story for our time. And, and you're you're so lucky to have have a yeah, front seat absolutely. at it. Yeah, absolutely. I was a ag reporter for uh, a long time before I started covering cannabis uh, again about 15 years ago. And you're right. Miracle drug of news. It's so interesting to cover. What I'm interested to see is really just how this industry matures. And I'm looking forward to it getting boring. Um, if you uh, are uh, spending any time in agriculture, boy, going to like a, a corn board meeting or other kinds of, you know, what are the new, the EPA is looking at a new pesticide regime for strawberries. Boy, snoozeroo. Um, I do think one day uh, hemp and marijuana regulations will be just that boring, but they're not yet. <laughs> and that's going to be really fun and interesting to watch if you're a, kind of a government wonk and a plant geek. I'm both. So, boy, this is the best place to be right now uh, in terms of watching where it happens. Uh, certainly a volatile time for folks in industry. I don't want to sound flip about how painful these times are to navigate for folks. But for a reporter, boy, what a, what a great place to be. Right. There's regulatory and there's science and there's also the sort of the business side to it. And we talked a little mm. bit about that, about how small players are kind of at an advantage right now where the, the boundaries aren't clear. You don't know when you have a first down or a second down. <laughs> so how do you see the business end of this going? Do you see a wave of consolidations eventually? Are the big going to get bigger and begin to dominate? Is it going to be state by state or is it going to be more of a federal framework that we'll be following? Yeah, I think federal. I I, uh, think, again, advantage for uh, a risk um, happy or somebody with a high tolerance of risk. It is a risky industry to invest in. State by state is so frustrating to big investors. They're just not really going to play until they get clear signal 
that how this is going to work. One day, I think not just uh, hemp and CBD extracts, but also larger marijuana. It's going to be an ingredient, like an ingredient you put in any food or dietary supplement. It's not terribly sexy or interesting, and the returns won't be high. Um, for investors. So now is the time. If you have a risk tolerance, I do not think the kinds of returns, I know it's very volatile, but the kinds of money people are making in extracts from cannabis are not the kinds of money you make from extracts from other plants. You don't make this in like the echinacea market, you know, or other kind of commodities. We were talking about industrial uses. Say you're making uh, components for car doors and roofing and textiles, you don't see these kind of returns. They're probably not going to last forever. It's going to settle out, get real boring, and become a commodity just like any other. Right. Prices will fall. What you see in every market will will occur. Sure. You know, we've talked about the fact that we're in a long, slow transition from a prohibited Schedule One substance to sort of a beloved daily supplement. <laughs> <laughs> and in lieu of... Um, FDA and USDA regulation and, and guidelines, the industry has kind of begun to regulate itself. Have you noticed that? Absolutely. I'm so glad you asked. This is a huge trend and a huge problem. Um, the uh, hemp and CBD producers really want some guidelines from the feds so they can put a stamp on their labels and say this, this really contains what it says it does. But uh, that help is not coming anytime soon. Um, uh, so in the meantime, you have a lot of different industry groups um, trying to band together and write regulations to assure customers because there's not really a lot of brands that have household name identity yet um, to say this is good stuff. In the, also, you'll have some big retailers like Sephora, the beauty, uh, retailer setting their own standards to say, here's what we're going to carry. That's really unusual. You don't see, uh, Sephora saying, here's what needs to be in a face powder, uh, or an, a mascara before we'll cover it. So it really is a huge, uh, burden for the industry. Uh, to come up with how to self-regulate. You have lots of different rival groups from the herbal products uh, world trying to establish themselves as the leader. Um, but it's a huge problem for consumers. I'm sure you get asked all the time. I do too. Oh, what's the what's the good stuff? What's, what's crap CBD and what should I be taking? And the answer is, you know, you just got to go with your gut. That's not a good place for consumers to be or the industry to be. Right. And with 3,000 brands out there, some uh, CEO told me the other day that that's how many CBD brands there are. Yeah. You know, as we've already touched on, like the vaping incident from a year ago, there could be dangerous stuff in there, pesticides, mold, residue. Is there any level of certification you can look for, or do we just wait for these to, for the dust to settle and for the government to come around and say, this is good and this is not good? Again, you're going to have to, I think, look to uh, uh, an industry association you trust. Uh, you mentioned, I think, Kemp Authority, that's uh, an offshoot of the Hemp Roundtable. They do them. Some organic associations do them. I would actually not wait for everyone's waiting for the FDA. I wouldn't, I wouldn't make that mistake. Um, in the world of dietary supplements like vitamin C and ginseng and fish oil, um, took the FDA, the stuff started popping up on the market late 60s, 
took 30 years really to get anything happening at the FDA in this law that regulates dietary supplements. And all kinds of people crap on it and say it's total baloney. You have no way of knowing when you buy vitamin C at the store whether there's any vitamin C in it. Uh, so I really do think it's buyer beware for a long time. And that's going to keep a lot of big players and a big consumer package companies out. So good news if you are a, a small strappy startup, but it's all on you to convince the consumer that your stuff is safe and going to help with what are other ailments they're taking it for. Right. There's good manufacturing practices and a couple of other things that, that you should look for. But yeah, we might be waiting till 2050 and there still won't be consensus. <laughs> yeah. Well, I okay. People, I'm, I'm curious. I hear a lot of people putting QR codes on their label so you can see kind of some testing results and where it came from. And I always thought, who really does that? You know, but they say people really do. So I think you're going to see a lot more QR codes and a lot of efforts to try to persuade people, knowing this is going to take a long time. Please know my stuff is good. Right. I mean, the average consumer is not a chemist, and a certificate of analysis is a good faith show. But do you really know what mm -hmm. you're looking for? And do you exactly. have time? Again, I tell people not to buy it at a gas station, but do you have time to look at the QR code? If you're online, you should be able to access that. And, mm -hmm. and, and that would be a help. So it's buyer beware. As these industry groups sort of come to the fore, maybe we'll see one emerge as the, the de facto standard. I do send people to U.S. Hemp Authority because in my research, they seem to at least have a set of standards that they do have good manufacturing practices and, yeah. and other mm -hmm. seat to shelf sort of processes and procedures that they're pushing. So for me, that's the best standard I could find. Yeah, I think you're probably dead on. So Kristen, I know you have deadlines, so I don't want to keep you too long. Is there anything we haven't covered that we should? Oh, I think it's just such an exciting time. I'm glad that we touched on the election. It's an exciting time to watch where things head, how cannabis plays in the larger um, political conversation our country's in. Of course, the pandemic is affecting um, cannabis like it is everybody else. I am so curious to see in uh, over the coming weeks and months uh, how the pandemic affects not just farmers, but affects consumers. Of course, one big question that we don't have an answer to, and we're going to find out, is how important hemp, marijuana, CBD, all these extracts, where they fall in the consumer pocketbook. Do they consider them truly essential like food and medicine? Or is it a nice add-on that, you know, when times are tough, you cut, like going to the movies? We're trying, so we're every day looking at analogies. Is it going to be like liquor, for example? Alcohol tends to do better in downturns, but not true depressions. You know, do people start home growing cannabis in the backyard because it's too expensive and everybody, nobody has a job? Or do people spend, you know, uh, money on CBD because it treats uh, disease before they even pay rent and buy groceries? That's a huge question for the industry. Everyone wants to know. No one does know. So, uh, we're, again, we're just going to be watching where this market shakes out. I'm really curious uh, what you think in terms of where you think uh, CBD ends up falling in terms of how important folks, how spending, I guess, changes when times get tough. What do you think? Well, I think it is very interesting to watch the data on that and to see, you know, it was interesting that what is considered cannabis was considered 
essential in in dispensaries mm-hmm. stayed open. But you know, as the science advances and we learn about new cannabinoids, and I use CBD and, and cannabis to to help with insomnia. It helps me sleep mm-hmm. better. Some people, it's it's inflammation. Others, does it help with PTSD? Yes, I think it does. Could there be a preventative aspect with Alzheimer's? Sure. You know, there's a lot of unanswered questions mm-hmm. that the science has to catch up with. And then there's marketing. And as a marketer, I, I understand that you have to present it to markets in ways that they understand and people kind of digest that and decide for themselves. So yeah, it, it is an interesting space. And as it unfolds, we can expect prices to come down, I think, Consumers will welcome that, and a lot happening on the business side that will depend on the on the regulatory environment. So it's an interesting place to be for sure right now. For sure, I love what you guys are doing online. The way you're covering these markets, and your title is editor, but I think I see your byline sometimes too, right? Yeah, yeah, we we are a small staff. I used to only write, and now I usually edit, but I still write sometimes. Uh, so we we all kind of do everything here. <laughs> Well, and the skill set of a journalist these days is also to run Zoom meetings and all that, too. (laughs) I I like that you guys make the information available to your audience by video. Are are you guys doing a podcast yet? We have a marijuana side podcast. Um, We're kind of still trying to figure out where that sits in the hemp space. Um, You know, uh, a lot of uh, folks are, you know, farmers are, are an interesting crowd. They don't consume media the way uh someone who works in an office does so we're truly trying to figure out how to hit the hit again these uh entrepreneurs we want to hit you know are they listening to podcasts are they how you know are they on their tractors on their phones yeah a bunch of them are uh, but how to how to hit everybody is kind of where we're, we're still kind of exploring so right. i really appreciate your feedback on what you think uh, you're uh, where you see the, the media market headed that's a good question. I mean, I think, you know, if you want to be the Wall Street Journal of hemp, that's wide open and you guys are doing it. You're you're uh, out there. I look on Twitter and I see you guys. Um, you're on LinkedIn. I don't know how many farmers are actually on LinkedIn. And I, I do know some farmers <laughs> and they're busy right now. They're out there doing it. So what is the best way? I think you have to try all those channels. And I think you guys are just that snippet of video I saw with, with Hunter Land uh, this morning where you're talking about isolates and versus mm-hmm. full spectrum and broad spectrum. Okay, that's just a little chunk of content that is very accessible and thought-provoking and engaging. That's what, what you have to be doing, and I think you guys are, are doing that in a good way. Well, thanks so much. Where should we look for you online? Okay, we're all one word, hempindustrydaily.com. Well, like you said, we're on LinkedIn. We've got a discussion board where if you are on LinkedIn and you want to talk about what's going on with hemp, we've got a discussion board there. We're on Twitter, as everybody is, we and Instagram. I see a lot more farmers on Instagram than I used to. It's really super cool. Um, they call it land porn. Everyone is cooped <laughs> up inside right now and likes to look at, you know, the, the pretty plants and the wide open spaces that uh, farmers enjoy every day. Oh, um, yeah. Pictures of vegetables. So those are awesome. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> So we'll look for you on LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn uh, and, and, and all the social channels. Look for Hemp Industry Daily. Um, or you can find us through MJ Biz Daily kind of links. They also will link to a lot of our stuff if you follow them. We will be following along. Kristen Nichols, thanks so much for sharing your time with our audience and letting them know what you guys are up to. Thanks so much for having me. 
You've been listening to the Cannaboom Podcast with host Tom Stacy. If you like the show and want to know more, please check us out at Cannaboom with a K.com. And please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. See you next week.